our program to bring you this important message. So, we've got today, for everybody listening, uh, we have got a combo, Amy and Ben, guitar and bass from Murphy's Law. And half, I would probably say, of our listeners that we get to actually interact with, you know, through messaging and that sort of thing, uh, have been excited when I started putting teasers out, like, hey, we're going to have some members of Murphy's Law on here eventually. And then other people who, when I say something about the, the band name Murphy's Law, people are like, what does that mean? You know, and they always kind of kind of revert back to the way the whole punk and hardcore scene has like the most creative names for bands. So I have to sometimes tell people that because a lot of the, the really great listeners out there who don't have a, a strong tie to music or don't really care much about listening to punk or hardcore or metal or anything, they're still intrigued whenever a guest or someone comes on who it's just like a normal conversation, <laughs> you know, and they're kind of, they're kind of shocked by that. Like, wait, what? Like, yeah, wait, well, I'll try not to disappoint them and try and sound as astute as possible. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how it goes. So, yeah. <laughs> so now uh, oftentimes too, people are amazed at, the fact that bands are still playing and the scene is still thriving 20, 30 for some bands, 40 years later. Yep. You, yep. So, so Murphy's law over 40 years now. <laughs> right. Yep. And so, so I've even like mentioned to some listeners when they're like, well, you know, you like, like, and now you can on the internet, you can just pull stuff and say, Hey, check out this song by them or Spotify or, you know, you can use like all this, this technology to actually introduce music to people across the country that, you know, when we were all younger, it was fanzines, right? And mixtape, mixtape. <laughs> mix yeah. And then like, you, you might want to tell like a cousin or something like for us, y'all hear my, my accent. I grew up in the South. We might want to tell a cousin like, Hey, check out seven seconds or check out Murphy's law or check out, you know, gorilla biscuits. Well, then it's like trying to order a little 45 or a seven inch record. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's difficult no. back in the day. Oh yeah. Right. So, so speaking of that, like how did, did, how did y'all get into the whole scene into music? How, how'd y'all get into all of that? Well, I'm 55. So I graduated in 86. So, you know, high. High school, it was just starting to come about. Like mm -hmm. the album that did it for me was Suicidal's first, Suicidal Tendencies' first album. Mm -hmm. Um, always been really kind of into guitar rock and and that game changer to me. I mean, I I knew Sex Pistols, I knew Ramones, but that first Suicidal album just absolutely sold me. And um, so I don't, you know, it was soph sophomore year of high school maybe that that. I got turned on to it, and by the time I graduated, it was, you know, it was just, I, I, I was sold, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was on to all the bands. At, by, by the time I graduated, it was all the bands. And me, mm -hmm. I, 86, 
Well, Amy and I, uh, we're a couple, and we've been together since 86. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, our our first date was, I I took her to a Ramones show. The Ramones Mm. and the Queers, and it was was my first punk show, and it was fucking amazing. Sorry. (laughs) No, you you can speak freely. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, And yeah, that's what did it for me. Hearing, Hearing just... Being in the very front, I was right up next to the stage, right in front of Johnny. And she got puked on. Yeah, I got puked on. Whole body puked on. But it was just the most amazing experience I ever had. And I never looked back. And I kept doing it. I I would say, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's funny when you said, when Ben said suicidal, because the same thing for me. I, I got into skating, like, in my neighborhood, Everybody was into like Iron Maiden, Dio, Black Sabbath, kind of that thing. Also we were, into those bands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost like a, yeah. a, a progression, you know, yep. for us. And then same year in 86, my brother gets like a little dubbed tape, you know, and like and like one side is written uh, Dead Kennedys. The <laughs> other side is written Suicidal Tendencies. <laughs> and so when we first listened to that and he got it from a buddy of his whose older brother was into like corrosion of conformity and like yeah. some of these other bands. Yep. First time we listened to it, we were out skating and it's like, man, I feel like I can skate better. Dude. <laughs> just just Thanks. listening. Yeah. Right? Thanks. Yeah. So it, it is interesting. I'm going to have to keep like an informal poll of how many people got into the scene through that, that suicidal uh, yeah. tendencies album. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Yeah. And it's still good. It still holds up. Still yeah, fucking does. amazing. The guitar work and that, just everything. It's just, yeah. it's perfect. It's perfect album. I like, I don't care. I will fight anybody who says that's not a great album. <laughs> <It's amazing. laughs> yeah. And they're still playing shows, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 They, yeah. yeah they yeah. just, they just, uh, uh, playing 35th anniversary of the album. They just, they just, or no, we saw 35th, we saw 35th. 40th anniversary of the album. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we so, saw the 35th five years ago. Yeah, they're just yeah. doing the 40th anniversary now. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 going back to the first show y'all went to, y'all been together since 86, which like I, I love that. Like that <laughs> that that makes me feel really, really good. And also the aspect of sharing something like that, any kind of art, anything that that brings kind of two people together, and then being able to tour and play shows and I'm kind of flash or fast forwarding to when you all played Reggie's uh, a couple of weeks back when we got to see y'all. And I want to say this, it's a show in the South in North Carolina in Wilmington, cool club sold out on a Monday night. That was an awesome show. show. And, and I, and, and for everybody listening, it, it was Murphy's law and agnostic front. And what I want to say is, I have often heard talking to other bands and merchandise people and stuff. And I always ask the question, why don't we see as many shows in the South as we did maybe, you know, 20 years ago or something like that? Cause I can remember getting out of the army and coming back to the South and it was, it was still like wide open. You know, a lot of bands were coming through street dogs, the Briggs H2O, but there was always like this, these constant bands, Flatfoot 56. And then, we went into kind of like a, I don't know, like a hiatus in the early 2000s, maybe somewhere around there. But the running theme that I hear, and I always wonder if this is true, is that 
shows in the South are more violent than other parts of the country, as in people in the crowd begin to fight or it's just a kind of a negative vibe. But I don't, I've been to a lot of shows. I don't, I wouldn't say that there's always a fight. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Is that kind of true? Is there a stereotype about that or no? I mean, maybe back in the day, uh, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, no. we, uh, we don't get a lot of bullshit at Murphy's Law shows. Yeah. Um, really not. I mean, it's happy. No. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really, we see limited violence. Um, you know, not to say that there isn't a no, long history happens. of it at shows. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, nowadays... It's chill. I mean, I'm not saying, I, I mean, I think there might even been a fight at Reggie's that night. I, I, if it's not, I, there was a fight somewhere, somewhere in that, along the line in, that in, in that few days, yeah. like around yeah. Reggie's, um, if it wasn't at Reggie's, but yeah, I mean, there you, there's still fights. I mean, there's still drinking and bullshit, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's, but it's way less than it was back. Oh my god! Like, True. Like, yeah. When we were it kids, shows were scary, man. Yeah, they were. They were scary. <laughs> yeah, they were scary yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah. So, so that actually, I tell it a lot, and I and I've actually trained courses for people on the entire skinhead subculture to to you know teach citizens and and other people um, sworn and stuff. That hey, like there's a there's this whole culture that is completely opposite of what it really is. Meaning, after Geraldo aired and like whatever that was, the TV show like 1988. Yes, I yeah, yeah. So we we were you know we were watching it like all, all of us and we're going, hold on a second, this is backwards. Like you got Nazi skinheads on Geraldo, and for the listeners, the wonderful world you can use now of Google. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about a TV show called Geraldo Rivera or the Geraldo show or whatever. And it was yeah. basically a variety show. And the host would would have different guests on. And, and at one point, he had some Nazi skinheads on stage. And then uh, he had the counter to that. And, and I apologize. The guy's name is escaping me now. Um, but he was on stage and he was part of the original civil rights movement. And, and so, so people, the listeners, you, you can Google it, you can watch the YouTube clips, but basically these two sides begin to argue and a melee starts. Mm -hmm. So you've got, and this was a very high rated TV show. So you have the average citizen in America watching the show and going, Oh, everybody that has a shaved head and a flight jacket and, and boots on or Doc Martens or whatever. Throwing chairs. Yeah. That now they're throwing chairs and they're, and they break Geraldo's nose. Like the, the host of the TV show comes back after it, a riot breaks out basically in, on the scene. He comes back after a commercial break and he's got a broken nose. So, so like the very next day in, in school, you know, uh, I'm getting crap about having a shaved head. <laughs> And so then it was almost like what what would happen at the shows that we knew about at the shows, like, um, you know, your traditional skinheads, Sharp, which were skinheads against racial prejudice. Uh, there was a ANF anti-Nazi front movement, like, at the shows, and then some Nazi skinheads might show up, and then the fight was on. But in our world, in the South, like, we knew only very few people knew about that if they went to punk rock shows or hardcore shows. Now, all of a sudden, after Geraldo aired, Everybody is like staring at us and calling us Nazis, and you know you got, yeah. you have to like stop what you're doing and, and talk to like 
two or three dudes and be like, no, 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 there's a whole world, you know. So I, I say all that to say what, what you all are talking about for listeners, the shows were very violent. Like gr- growing up, there were there was always a fight. And usually the fights were stuff like that. It was, you know, two, two well, groups. Almost always. Almost always. Yeah. yeah. And, and I can imagine, you know, it, if if you're up north or you're on the East Coast, like like down here, it was there were very um, certain cities that you knew had a Nazi skinhead oh. presence. Oh, absolutely. The same thing yeah. happened up same, there. Same. Yeah. 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 You knew like, where, yeah. Yeah. And so, so even back then, well, actually, probably into the early 90s, uh, I remember hearing about Philadelphia having a horrible Nazi skinhead problem. Like that it was getting violent. People were getting beat. Sharp was like fighting back. And I actually had uh, Frank Mink on the show a while back, and Ski and I talked to him. And he was part of that Nazi skinhead movement in Philadelphia and had actually gotten charged for kidnapping and aggravated assault and did some time in prison converted and, and now and converted to Judaism and is now living a life where he's trying to make amends for the, the violence he did. And, and it basically, he wrote a book and it, it's all about, you know, how to get out of that. Like how, how young people were kind of seduced by that movement, which it never made sense to me. But when you read his book or you hear him talk about it, he was in the punk, he was in the hardcore, but all of a sudden now these older Nazi skinheads were kind of befriending him and whatever. But, but so when I was younger, like Philadelphia in my mind is like, you know, the the area, yeah, to avoid or don't, don't travel up there to go to shows or or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So when you're, when you all are traveling and I know like y'all are playing shows all over the place. And, and I do tell people like, you know, as as I say, as we get older and, and everybody uh, it seems like in America is, you know, uh, fixated on staying young and all of this. And I always say like, it seems to be the common theme, people that love music and still go see live music or can play in bands seem to all be, you know, happy, (laughs) well-adjusted, uh, and and definitely, I'd probably say per capita in the hardcore and punk scene, like just all around healthy. I don't. Am I crazy on that? No, I don't. I don't, I don't think, think so. you're crazy at all. Like, so. like I mean, I don't know. I I guess we never grew up. I mean, we still skate. We're skating tonight uh, <laughs> at my buddy's indoor spot. That's just epic. Uh, 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 the, called the warehouse in Waterbury, yeah. Connecticut. It's just okay. uh, incredible spot, and uh, you know we we do an old man skate there, old girl skate there every every uh, Friday night. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I it's not like a goal to stay young, but I'm like, fuck it. It, it, yeah. it it's worked for us, and just you know, not not being an adult all the time is important to me, you know, just, just, it's, I still love the shit I loved when I was 15. So skateboarding and punk rock and playing guitar and I don't know, being an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Amy, same thing. You kind of nodded to skating and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. He's a good skater. I mean, for, for a gal in her (laughs) fifties. I'm 54. Uh, yeah, I'm 54 and 55. I'm going to be yeah. 54. Yeah, in March. That's, that's outstanding. But, yeah, yeah, so I don't do what I used to do. Yeah, Bye. well, 
okay. <laughs> well, I'm I, I still enjoy it and I still Yeah, she's still yeah. killing it. Yeah, I I unfortunately I gave it up uh, a while back. It's and easy. It's easy to it's easy. We just stick to transition yeah. and keep it chill, like you know. I'm not about taking hits anymore. I'm yeah. ne- I, I mean, knock on wood, rarely take a hit. But yeah, yeah, so that, rarely. That that was my thing. Is like I I couldn't afford a catastrophic injury. And as yeah. as a as a younger person, a teenager, whatever, like you just kind of learn to roll when you fall. And we used to do a lot of launch ramps and stuff like yeah, that. Oh yeah, but, yeah. That but, was you know, the 80s, like, man. You know. Yeah, you you yeah, learn to fall. You learn to roll. Um, but then as I got older, it was like okay. Uh, I really do have to assess if I break something, what's it going to be like yeah. when I was in the army, you know, I was in an infantry unit and they were like, if you break something on your body, that's like destruction of government property. <laughs> you yeah, better have an right. excuse for why you're breaking bones and that sort of thing. And then I remember that same era uh, being at a fishbone show in uh, Nashville. Cause I was stationed at Fort Campbell and, and Nashville used to have like some really cool shows back then. But it was big circle pit, and I'm in the pit, and by accident, someone hits my leg, and it spins into my other leg, and I land straight onto my knee, all of my body weight. It felt like I had shattered it, and I had, you know, formation first thing Monday morning, so the I, I go into, like, panic mode thinking, I just shattered my knee. It, it feels like everything is on fire, and now I got to try to explain, you know, to my chain of command how I broke my knee, and... And the funny thing was like back then everything was handwritten letters. So I would get letters from like bands that are touring and hey, check us out. We'll be playing this show. You remember how like everything was through mail and course. Oh, yeah, mailing list. Mailing. Actual yeah. you know actual yeah. mailing list. I, yeah, I had a mailing list that yep. yep. Doing a show, you'd put a flyer in an envelope and address yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So so that that was one of the things like early on, as I got mail coming in. I, my platoon sergeant would like, I, I got a letter from uh black train Jack. I don't know if y'all remember that band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but the platoon sergeant was like, what are you a freaking communist? You know, it's like, what is this black train Jack? Like, it's just a band. It's just a yeah. band. Nothing crazy. <laughs> anyway, I, I tell a long story to say at that time I started assessing also like, <laughs> I can't, I can't be busting stuff up. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So now when, we talk about like mailing stuff and fanzines and the history of music and like how it's transitioned. And I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but like, how do you feel now about music being streamed like that or someone throwing up a cell phone or a smartphone, you know, at a, at a concert or something, a show, and then they post it on YouTube. Like, yeah, I, I, I I'm cool with the cell phones. I know, yeah, you know, I know a lot of people aren't, but... I, yeah, I know a yeah. lot of people aren't, um, uh, but yeah, no, it's cool. I don't, I don't, I, I don't care about that at all. I think it's cool. Somebody wants to film instead of watch it. Like our generation is like being the moment. Why the right. fuck are you filming everything? Right. And right. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. but I, I mean, I don't, I, I, that's to say, I don't get it, but I don't care. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Um, and as far as streaming, I, 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 I don't I mean me personally like it's it it fucking sucks for mm-hmm. for the bands yeah. but it's cool for the listener Jesus I mean dude at any given time I can pull this stupid thing up and listen to a song I haven't heard in, in 35 years. years and been like oh man you know like 
I used to have this vinyl and I recorded the vinyl on cassette tape so I could listen to it in my car. Like and it used to be impossible <laughs> to find stuff. Yeah. You had yeah. to you had to like search stuff out and you had yeah. to have mixtapes from all your yeah, friends. Yeah, have your friends get, mail you shit. Mail like, like, and, and it was almost impossible to find new bands. Yeah, yeah. no, not anymore. Now it's cool. It's I mean, cool. You can access for the listener, it's awesome. I mean, I guess just because I'm in a hard. band, I'm kind of a curmudgeon about it. Like, oh, it sucks. We used to, we used to do great in CDs. Now we sell, yeah. you know, yeah. nothing. You yeah. know, now I mean, that's now difficult. it's all vinyl. Like, if you don't carry, and vinyl's a pain in the ass to to, to carry, yeah. carry i mean it's like you can't Inventory. leave it in a hot van and you you got it it's expensive it's fragile it, it sucks cds were awesome and cheap and and you <laughs> yeah. did well and now nobody's nobody buys them and it and you know just whatever that's just me being an old curmudgeon and like ah damn. well i, I, I yeah it is great yeah. Yeah. I, the only reason I asked that is like, I I've asked other people that just in normal conversations, I can't help it. Like when I go to a show, I got to talk to the band or merchandise people or even just people at the show, young, old, whatever. But that's like one of those things that I think it could be generational. Like a younger generation may think, Oh, well, a band is just being greedy and all they want is money. And it's kind of yeah. like, well, but they deserve it. Like it's important that a band, can make a living off of making their music, you know, because if not, then you can't, it's almost impossible to work a full-time job and then try to tour and play shows. And no, it's fucking impossible. It, it is impossible. Right. Right. It's and, impossible. And like one of the first bands I remember that, that I listened to that really kind of blew up <laughs> and I didn't see it coming was when the mighty, mighty Boston's blew up in like 98. Yeah. And, and I had started listening to them, you know, they were on Tang records and I'm, I'm ordering like a hoodie and t-shirts and stuff. So I had like three of their shirts and a hoodie to the point where I used to wear so many shirts like that, that people thought it was a clothing line. Like my friends <laughs> that were not into punk or hardcore. And I'm yeah. like, no, it's a band. Like check this out. It's cassette tapes. You know, like we talked about yeah. back then. I'm like, no, check it out. It's like, it's a, it's a crazy mix, you know, for you of like horns and vocals. And, and it's just, it's the perfect mix of everything. Well, and that was whatever in the early to mid nineties. Yeah, I'd say early they blew up. Early nineties, yeah. I, I same. I would ended up yeah. being blown away. Like man, Boston's are like huge. Yeah, yeah. They they have like like uh, one song that's like the uh, impression that I get was like yeah. all over the radio. Video. Yeah, yeah, in a video, and then so so wherever I would go, I would hear it. Like whatever, it might be playing in a bar somewhere or whatever. And there were people that when we would talk about music, and they're like. Oh, they're sellouts, you know. And I'm like, like, no, they're not. Their music hasn't changed. I mean, music evolves, yes. Yeah, and no, and no. people do want to do maybe different sounds, but I don't think anybody in the boss tone said, let's try our best Hell to make, no. you know, a lot of money off. They just made music yeah. that I felt like was just really good. And at the time, it was, it was yeah. great songwriting, great yeah. band. Yeah. yeah, and so, so I say all that, you know, to, to for younger listeners who are who are checking this out to understand that bands are able to survive, I think, in a punk and hardcore scene because people do support them. You know what I mean? In, in, yeah. As much as we can. So Big. whether it's, you know, through through buying T-shirts, it shows or if if a band has uh, or if they're selling merchandise, 
and making money off of that merchandise, like I always feel better that way. You know, yeah. because well, I, feel like I'm I mean, for sure, punk and hardcore bands they survive through yes. merch. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you're 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 not making it through 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 streaming at all. Yeah. I mean, you might make beer money off streaming, but it it sucks. It's bullshit what you get paid. Um, and and literally like the CD sales are a race now. So it's just a huge thing being able to get t-shirt sales and whatever yeah. hat sales, patch yeah. sales. Like it's, yeah. it's huge and people are cool. People are really cool. And the community really, really is conscious of that. At least that's what I've, that's what I've, I've seen. seen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree too. And I think that is why like at that show I mentioned when y'all played here, it's like one of those things where at that show, there were so many people on a Monday night and I loved it. And so I'm like looking awesome. around and, and you know, I, if I remember right, I think the show may have been, or the show was, uh, was um, not all age. So I, that, I, I, I can't remember. Um, like, and again, you know, it's like they, there might've been an all ages the night before. So I get confused which yeah, one it was, yeah. but I, I honestly can't remember if that one yeah. was all ages. Yeah. Cause I, I was having a discussion with the guy and that was one of the things we were talking about was the bars or the venues that are playing shows. A lot of them have not have gone away from any kind of all age just yeah. because of like the liability. Yeah. But I hate that because I know there's a younger generation that that is like dying to go see shows. Oh, we and, we yeah. all love the all ages nights. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. All like, yes. Cool. cool. Yeah. Because it, you know, that's kind of back to the power of the Internet, social media, YouTube a younger generation can watch a show and understand how, how much fun it is for everybody. Right. And so if they want, they want to go and they want to be part of that. They don't want to just sit, you know, in their, in their bedroom and watch it on, on the small screen on yeah. their smartphone or maybe on a laptop. It's like they want to experience that. And then they hear a, a older generation when we're telling all these stories about how much fun it was going to shows and, still fans are still playing and we still, still love it fun. Yeah. it's still cool yeah. we yeah. love i mean as a band we like absolutely love that's seeing kids you know it's like always make a point to you know like talk to them after yeah. give them pics like give them shirts like we always yeah. everybody in the band is like that yeah. it's just like ah kids awesome well, you know we were kids yeah we well i i was that kid you know <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well yeah. i think that i think that is also I don't want to say like the addiction of it, but, but it is like that, that draw when you're young. And I remember going to my first show and I was 13. Yeah. You know? And so I, my, my older brother and his best friend that, and we used to go to this one venue and they did all age shows on Sundays. Yep. And so it was like, it was, it was mimicking what was going on, you know, up North and like, Hey, you can book these bands and do a matinee show and we could go. Yeah. And I was blown away, like the, the very first minute of like going into the club and there, I think three or four bands playing, but it was just chaos. And, and yeah. my brother even was like pushing me back. Like, no, you, you can't get in the pit, you know? Yeah. And this yeah. was, this was, you know, mid eighties. Yep. Oh, like, no, yeah. you, you can't get in the pit, but he and his buddy are doing like stage dives. And this is like the heyday of, you, you know, you, it was like a free for all. Oh like, yeah. Everybody understood. That. Yeah, if someone falls, pick them up. Like you're not, yep. you're not trying to hurt someone, but man, it was just like, 
and I was hooked. Like everybody was so nice. We talked to one of the bands and like, I don't know. It was just, it was completely different than what I had seen like on MTV with these big bands. Like we mentioned earlier, you see these metal bands and there's 20, 30,000 people in a crowd and there's yeah. pyrotechnics and, yep. and nobody ever gets to talk to that person. And I don't know what I would say to Iron Maiden when I was like 10 years old anyway or whatever, but right. But but going to these shows then, you know, as I got a little bit older at 12, 13 years old, man, it was incredible. Like, I, I think I was yeah. 15 the first time um, I met HR from Bad yep. Brains. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing that's about the thing. punk. I remember that. Because I can, mm -hmm. when I said it's like, oh, I listen to all those bands, Dio and Maiden. It's like, well, I was seeing those concerts first because... I went to my first show, my first concert in 1980. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, I saw Iron Maiden in 1982. This is, this is like, like a couple yeah. years before my first punk show. Like, okay. so that's all I did. I mean, I love music. So I, I was seeing all, all these bands in, in fucking 10,000 seat arenas, like 12,000 yeah. seat arenas. And I thought, you know, like that, that's music. Then all of a sudden you start seeing hardcore bands. It's like, my God, you can, you can shake the singer's hand. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. You can talk to these guys. They're approachable. And yeah. then you start thinking like, I can fucking do this too. And you know, that mm -hmm. it's, it, 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 it's just that the one genre that clicked for me, that it's just like, man, I can do this. I I'm a part of it. And when you're a part of it, like it doesn't matter if you're the performer or the fan, it's just everybody's a, 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 a part of this thing. And it's like, I don't know. So I, that's probably why 40 plus years later, here we are, you know, yeah. we're still mm -hmm. doing it. Yeah. So, so what was some of the first bands that y'all got into like playing was like when you started, when did you start playing your instruments? And then like, how did you transition to actually playing with bands and doing shows and stuff? Um, well, I was, I was playing, um, like re really early on, I came from a musical family, so they, you know, would put bullshit acoustic guitars in my hands or whatever. Before I even have memories, I owned a guitar, but it didn't okay. mean I could play it or I gave a shit about it. Um, it didn't really click till my twelfth birthday. Um, I got an electric bass, um, and that sort of made sense to me. Uh, more than a, an, a, a guitar did. And I was definitely into, you know, rock and roll by then. And I'm listening to, you know, Aerosmith and Foghat and, you know, Black Sabbath. And, and so, you know, you're trying to figure out these songs on bass and it was easier for me than guitars because fucking chords I, I didn't get. So I played bass in my first band, which I mean, we were, we were covering whatever we could figure out like you know the eagles and i don't, I, I don't know you know just easy shit the doors mm -hmm. whatever we can figure out by ear and we did that um and i did that rather unsuccessfully for a few years until whatever you know 15 16 and uh you know found punk rock and and i have i have I, I honestly can't recall being in a band that played anything but punk rock ever since like 15. I mean, I may, I may have that, 
that I'm forgetting. It's like, oh, you played in that metal band for 20 minutes back in 92, but I don't fucking yeah. know. I, I mean, really, I think since the age of 15 on, I've only played punk rock. And, what about you, Amy? Oh, well, me, on the other hand, I've just always been a fan of music. Mm -hmm. I don't come from a musical family. And I just always tried to take in whatever music I could get my hands on. Um, and I didn't start playing until 2007. And oh, okay. Sad plan. Yeah, sad well, plan. I, I mean, I did a little here and there with other stupid shit. Yeah, but, she's been in bands with but, me before. Yeah. But, but, but a real... Where she started touring, touring and, and being serious about it. Yeah, yeah, like Amy and I and and Seth the drummer Murphy's Law um playing it playing our own like skate punk band mm -hmm. um called Sad Plant. And um, you know, that 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 was really Amy's first serious band. She yeah. was at, like thirties, thir yeah. late thirties was her first wow. real real band. Yeah. She's playing shows, you know, a couple couple shows a week, and you know, and then you know, whatever. Uh, a couple years later, she's on fucking tour, like nonstop, like yeah. living yeah. in a fucking bread truck bread with truck. bunk beds, <laughs> and you know, like. So yeah, it was it was. It was uh, a beautiful converted bread truck. Oh, don't get me wrong, it was. I nice. loved it. <laughs> <laughs> don't get so, so when you do when you say that, when you talk about bread truck. People have heard me tell these stories before, uh, but my brother, you heard me talk about going to a show, you know, when I was young, like my first show, my brother's older or my, my older brother's best friend, his first vehicle when he, when he turned 16 was a like, um, old, uh, milk truck. Yeah. yeah. Box car trucks, right? It's probably box, the same thing. It's like a bread truck. Yeah. 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 Well, ours it was, was a, a wonder, bread. wonder bread truck. So. Yeah. Okay. So he, so he's got this big white boxy truck thing mm -hmm. and we would, and back then we were skater kids. We just would run wild. You know, my, my mom was working all the time and she was great to us and let us have a lot of freedom, but he had this truck. And so what we do is go and we would dumpster dive, you know, you go through these industrial parks skating and and you borrow some plywood and you borrow some some two by fours never from a job site. You build a launch ramp, that sort of thing. We were never, young. Never you know. did that type of <laughs> yeah. Thing. Sorry, man. So yeah, so we we ended up finding like someone had thrown out a couch, like probably from like the 1960s. It was all stained up and stuff. So we took this couch and like a um like a stuffed chair kind of thing, a really cushy chair, and put them in the back of this milk truck. So you could just roll around and you had these, these couch and this chair. And then of course, because we're kids and, and, and into bands, we're spray painting and stenciling bands on the side of the bread truck. So it's like, you know, minor threat, you know, it's like, black like flag, the DK. Black flag van. Oh yeah. <laughs> right here. When we yeah. started dating, my van was just same stenciled, just stenciled graffiti. graffiti and yeah. <laughs> so, so the so the best part about that is like it really did. I'm quite sure draw attention back then, right? Uh, we yeah. got pulled over a lot. A lot. Yes. So the, so the great. This is the thing. Like I tell people all the time, if you grew up in skating and punk, everybody lived the exact same experiences. Only we're all over the country. All over the place, <laughs> living the same life. I love it. It's I true. love hearing that, man. Yes, dude. Same. So, so this is the this is the cool part about life, Instagram, doing all that. 
my name was thrown in a hat. There, there's an author, James Patterson, who is he's the best selling author, I think, probably in history. Um, so he and another guy who was retired military, Matt Eversman, they they did a book and they basically did interviews with real police officers. And so they wanted like people's stories. My name got thrown in the hat. I got interviewed. And part of my story is that being a kid skating, running from the police, how, what we would do, how we would throw our, tra- our skateboards in the trash can. So, you know, when you turn the corner, the officer chasing you is looking for kids with skater, you know, skateboards and they don't see it. And you just double back. You pull your board out of the trash can and you go back to skating. But I tell the story in the book about just that. Like we would roll around in, in this milk truck. Now, and we were also, we were young and, and some of our first influences were like Minor Threat and, and some of those early Revelation Records bands. It's like Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of the Day and stuff. And so for me, like I, I've lived my entire life. I never got into drinking or anything like that. But at this time, all of us that were together were not into drugs. We were not doing anything crazy other than skating, having right. crazy haircuts, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and we would get stopped a lot. And yeah. we did get stopped by the police one time. I mean, we got stopped by the police a lot, but we get stopped by the police one time. And we're all in the back. And the first officer walks up, being a straight-up jerk, the RoboCop type, you know. Mm-hmm. And we're like, here we go again. And and we actually were nice kids, like I said. Some people say that. But I mean, we were nice. We weren't out hurting people. As a matter of fact, we were usually getting jumped, and we would have to fight back and stuff. So, mm-hmm. But here we go with the RoboCop thing. We're like, all right, whatever. So then uh, they want to get us out of the vehicle and that sort of thing. Well, the other officer, like his backup or his check-in, walks up and sees our skateboards in the back of the truck. And he's like, oh, these kids are skaters. Like, they're good to go. Cut them loose. And you're talking about, like, in the South in, you know, in very, the 80s, very like, yeah. late 80s, right? That's unheard wow, of, that's man. Unheard so, so this is where it goes, like, full circle. So at that moment, I was like, oh, hold on. Like that is the that officer is the same as this one. They're both in uniform, but that one thinks we're actually cool and knows we're not a you know we're not criminals. We're not doing anything bad because we are skateboarding, right? Right. So that was like unheard of, but it completely changed my perspective on that field. Like, yep. I, and I was like, oh, okay. So, so police are individuals. I know people would disagree with me, and I get bashed all the time for this, but they're individuals. So it was just really cool for me to see that perspective at a young age. Now I kept it to myself. Yep, <laughs> I didn't walk yep. around telling everybody yeah, this. Yeah. But but in my mind, I was like, okay, at every encounter, I will I will have to to think of them as as people. Yep. And and I had encounters after that where I was searched. I've had encounters longer after that where I've had a, a gun put in, inside of my head by wow. a uniformed officer. Like so wow, but, that's heavy. Well, but, yeah. but that also in, in that incident, and I, and I tell it a lot to people because it, it changed my perspective as an adult and then the career I went into and how I addressed, how I dealt with the public. Yep. And I always remembered that. I remembered what it felt like moving slowly. So, so basically I'm pulling up as a young man. I had already been out of the army. So I had already served four years in the army. I was pulling up at a gym, uh, like a workout place. And I whip in and I lean down to pick up my gym bag out of the floorboard of my passenger side of the vehicle. I drove like this little bitty um, Toyota uh, car. 
But as I lean down to grab my gym bag, I come back up. My, my window is down, you know, because you're not going to burn the air conditioning when you don't have any money or whatever. At least that was yeah. the logic back then. But as I come back up, the barrel of the uh, duty pistol is inside of my head. Jesus. Wow. And the officer is telling me, don't move. You're going to follow my commands. But I did. I never saw her, which is one good on her approach. I never saw the vehicle behind me, the, the patrol vehicle. So as I came up, I was like, whoa, like, okay. Had my hands up, followed all of her commands. She got me out of the vehicle, searched me or, or technically frisked me for weapons. And then, you know, explained to me, where are you coming from? So I explained to her, this is my name. This is where I'm coming from. This is where I'm going. That all registered very quickly in her head. Now, as an adult, I understand what she was also doing was testing my stress. And am I going to lie to her about what's going on? Now, if I stop the story here, a lot of people will be like, well, that's just how it is. You know, please do this and that. What I knew was she, something is so serious. She's got a gun to my head. So I'm going to do everything you tell me. I'm on the up and up. I know I haven't done anything wrong. Every moment I'm going to do exactly what you tell me. So at the end, you know, as she's asking these questions, I'm following her commands. And then she says, okay, this is what happened. Myself and other units are responding to a domestic violence incident in which a, you know, white male, blah, blah, blah. And she's describing me head to toe, <laughs> driving a four door, uh, car, brown car. And I'm like, Oh, that oh, wow. is just like me. And it literally was like two or three minutes down the road. Yep. Yeah. So, so now I, as an adult and what I've done in the past, you know, for 20 years, like now I understand her perspective back then, she actually, in her mind, hey, I've got the suspect. Yeah. Close proximity of the crime, description matches to a T. Yeah. The difference is, had I bowed up on her, or had I ran, or had I, uh, whatever, stuffed something on her seat, man, she would have blasted me, thinking that I'm going for a gun or a weapon yeah. or whatever. Yeah. What's crazy, flash forward, like, 10 years later, I have to go to that same jurisdiction and and um, do basically a briefing on a homicide investigation, like a cold case. And so as I'm in their police station and, and I'm going over some gang stuff and that's how I was trying to help them, she was then like a commander or something. Like she had moved up to the ranks. So it was like I kind of have a little bit of like a photographic memory kind of thing, like with names and faces, which is why yeah. I was so good with gangs and stuff. So then I had to tell her the story. Did and of course, remember? you know, at first she's kind of embarrassed. I was like, no, 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 you did everything right. <laughs> I did too, which is why I survived. But, yeah, you know, I say all that to say, you know, that growing up, that one incident in that milk truck, like, you know, changed my perspective of something that I, I, I you know, was able to do later in life. That I was really proud of. And then to be able to tell that story in the book is one of those things like I want people to understand that. You come from punk and hardcore. 99% of people grew up to be good people. Like, and that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, just yeah. really good people. Yeah. And, but yeah. the, you're but, spot on with that. Yeah. You know, you are spot on. Um, you know, the vast majority didn't grow up to be criminals no. or fuck ups. Mm. They're just, yeah, they're cool, good, good people. And just, just in, 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 enjoy the scene and the music and yeah. whatever you know it's like we were good kids i mean amy we was a great kid i was <laughs> <laughs> well you know 
Amy was a great kid, but overall, I mean, I think yeah. I was a kind kid. I was just you a fucker. Um, and certainly had my run-ins for right. many and, years. And, and, and I was going to say, like, that that's part of growing up, and that's part of people, especially if they're in any kind of position like law enforcement or judges or prosecutors, like, understand people make mistakes, and sometimes it takes time. Like, you know, I, I still talk to people that, I helped get out of gangs and help, you know, them change their life. And it's like, this is your life. You make mistakes, you know, and, and sometimes it takes a little bit of maturing or sometimes it just takes like removing yourself from an environment mm -hmm. that could be, you know, conducive to that. But I, I just, I, it's funny, like there's a ongoing joke about this show that um, people are like, oh man, there should be a drinking game that every time, BC says punk rock or skateboarding. Someone has to drink. So I tell people like I, I love a lot of different um, categories or whatever of music. Like I love a lot more music than I don't like. But yep. But I feel like because of growing up in that environment and being judged and people saying the negative things about it, it's like I, I try my best to explain. It is. It's the opposite. It's the greatest scene, and it. And it kind of fostered, I think, in all of us growing up through it, one, you know, that you can kind of tough out um, times where fights are occurring. Like, I, I didn't want to, I, did, I didn't grow up wanting to fight, but got into a lot of fights, you know. And sometimes I'd feel bad after the fight, even, you know, if I won, it's still like, why are we fighting? You know, I'm I, either trying to skate or I'm just trying to, you know, hang out or whatever. But, but I, I, I try to explain to people the power of the scene of music. And like one of the examples, uh, there was a documentary about Descendants. And the drummer, you know, uh, if I remember, I had a brain tumor and, or, or some type of illness. But I want to say it was a brain tumor. Yeah. And the surgeon who actually saved his life grew up listening to the Descendants. It was like one of his favorite bands. That's crazy. Wow. So he ends up going to a show after the surgery, like somehow they, they, they figure out one, he figures out this is the drummer from descendants and two, like they talk about that music. And then that surgeon goes to a descendant show. I, I just, that's I know what, like, yeah, like some people are just like, who cares? But that's heavy. That's yeah, cool. man. That's like killer. think about, think about when we were all kids and you're at a show and you look around and go like, like that could become a cert that dude right there yeah. or a woman or whatever could become a surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and still enjoy this scene enough and to still go, go out. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. the thing we know from from playing these shows. See it every day, man. Yeah. Like, just just all walks of life are still showing up at mm -hmm. shows in their fifties mm -hmm. and still enjoying it and still having a great time. And it's you know, it's 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 very much still a thing and very much still a cool scene. That's 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 like and i honestly i've loved watching punk kids grow up yeah that's another i've thing. seen so you know, many that's another thing over seen over the them years from their first show to like to adults and, adults and, and like parents so and, proud of them. you know and <laughs> in a trade or what you yeah, know like yeah, whatever. whatever they're doing yeah it's cool yeah it's it awesome. cool i I, awesome. I hear you on that that's yeah cool. like my 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 older brother uh who got me into punk and everything and I got him in the sky later, <laughs> later in life, you know, yep. uh, but he, when you said the trades, that's what he is. 
Mm -hmm. A plumber by trade. And um, also like, you know, in the South, we have a lot of, we still have like a lot of wells. Like people getting yeah. their water oh, yeah, from yeah, wells, yeah. you know, well water. Yeah, yeah well, we, we, do too. we do too. We do too. Yeah. yeah. So it's like growing up, he and I worked uh, with our dad doing jobs like that on the summer and he stayed with it. And so now he's running, you know, his company makes great money. We still yep. go to shows and joke. Yeah. But it's like it, it for for him, what he does is when people are out of water, he shows up, fixes the water and they got water and he gets paid you know, a, a pretty penny for it. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but I can remember like when we were kids, we were all told in school, at least at that time, like there was such a huge push. You need to go to college. College. Yeah. That's right. how it was when we were kids. Being an auto mechanic was an embarrassment. You need a yeah. college yeah. education. College. It's like fucking a, I pay my auto mechanic like More. $148 <laughs> a fucking hour. Like, yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah, I I did I did not understand it. I came from what well, I guess back then would have been considered working class. Like a lot of my family worked in the grocery business and grocery stores, or like like my dad doing the water filtration and, and yep. pump work and stuff. And my mom worked insurance and was a, a, a hairstylist before that. I love like that. That's what made sense to me. You get a job, yeah, there's a demand for it, you know, and then you get paid. But then when I'm in high school, there's this whole push that everyone has to go to college. And I ba I barely wanted to even show up to high school. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. like yeah. I, I, I enjoyed learning. I liked art, you know, but but I just didn't see the power of college. Now, later in life, yeah. after the Army, I went to college and I loved it, but I was an adult. And yeah. I didn't feel like I had to do that in order to earn a living kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, you know, right. so so I, I say I just I'm kind of getting off a tangent, but I, that was part of the music scene that always made me feel comfortable the way I was. Like this whole idea of it's okay yeah. to be working class, yeah, or to have or to have your name on your shirt. Like that was, yeah, that was like a yeah. catchphrase. Like teachers would be like, "Do you want your name on your shirt the rest of your life?" Yeah, like, yeah. what it's are like you talking about? Like half my relatives have their name on. Like what? I, <laughs> my dad's got his name on his shirt. Well, not my. My, right. My dad was a very intellectual guy who held two doctorates and yeah. oh, I'm, trust okay. me, I'm I'm the black sheep. But <laughs> you know, I just my, both my parents were teachers. They were educators, and um, I, I didn't finish high school. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, you know, yeah. So, Amy went to college. She has a yeah. a, a degree. Yeah, I did but, what I was supposed to do. Yeah, just yeah. you know, the education route wasn't for me, and the the job thing just not nothing ever really fucking worked out for me yeah, <laughs> except playing yeah. guitar so uh <laughs> yeah i mean i i hear you with that that it's like really it didn't matter that you were working class or whatever yeah. and it certainly didn't matter that you were a college kid because i feel like when i was young college kids outnumbered the working class yeah. kids at at a lot of the shows um, yeah yeah there was this it was I say strange, um, but there was so many kids graduating and going to college. Yeah, and, and I've told this story before, and and people are like, "Well, who cares?" But in in my mind, it kind of upset me. I went into this class one day, and it was a psychology elective in my senior year in high school, and so I loved it. I loved psychology. Later, that was what I went to college for. But but the teacher was one of my favorites. But she had a bulletin board that had colleges up there. 
And so like as the seniors, as these students were getting whatever accepted into these universities, she put their name up there under the college. And I was like, well, and I was going to the army. I already knew I was going to the army. Yeah. You know, like that to me, it was like, that's all I want is the army. Leave me alone. I've already talked to a recruiter. I got accepted. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but I was proud of that. But at that era, this was just, you know, this was prior to 9 11. Yeah. You know, yeah. The terrorist attack. So at that time, a lot of people were saying the army's a waste of time. You're a dummy, you know? Yeah. So, once I kind of said, told everybody, Hey, I'm, I'm going in the army. Like I've, I've got my contract signed. Like, you know, I'm, as long as I graduate, I'm good to go. And that was my main reason for staying in high school. Like I just had to graduate to get to basic training. Yeah. But I'd asked her like, you know, well, can you put the military branches up there? I knew like two other people in high school that were going into the military and we all kind of felt the same way. Like nobody wants us to go in. Like nobody is saying that's a good thing. And Hey, great. It was like, you know, look down upon us. I just, that was, so that was one of the things I asked her about. And, and this was like the, the, whatever, like the epiphany of like, Oh, well now my suggestions kind of matter. Cause she was like, Oh, I never thought about that. Put the branches up there. And then I put my name up there. And I, I just kind of thought like, is it that easy sometimes just to make a suggestion and like a, a teacher changes something or maybe a boss can change something down the yep, road. Yeah. But hey, it's just oh, that, yeah. Was that, was that before desert storm? No, it was, it was, was right. It was after desert storm. So desert storm was actually, oh man, pro, I was probably like ninth grade somewhere okay, around okay, there. Okay. okay. All right. So when, so when desert storm happened though, I already knew I wanted to go into army. Okay. Like mm -hmm. that was my, that was my path. Like I said, I didn't always tell just everybody, but like, man, I just had a strong urge to go into the military. Yep. And so when that happened and it was on the news and everything, um, and I had read books about units in Vietnam and things. Like that. So I wanted to go to an infantry unit. Yep. Um, and I had an older cousin that had been in the military and he was just a wealth of knowledge. But yeah, so that kind of, that kind of shaped me, you know, you, you get these like two polar, I don't want to say polar opposites, but you have desert storm going on. And then around that time you also have, and I say time, we, we kind of merge a couple of years there in the early nineties, you end up having the Rodney King incident and the LA riots. Yep. And so yeah. then like I've, I've talked about before when ice T had um, body count yep. the band, and then they do the song um, cop killer. Yeah. And so then like the news is doing this coverage and all this. And it's like these two worlds are kind of merging. And I have told numerous people like in my training classes and stuff, like understand I'm not saying that's a good thing. Also understand this is art. This is music. And it is telling you, this is a person's perspective. Why? Is it because too much abuse? Is it, you know, so, and we kind of knew in the scene, this stuff goes on, you know, with officers beating punk rock kids and busting up shows and just, it was just a really bad, bad vibe. Then all of a sudden you have an incident on video of Rodney King being beaten by multiple, you know, LA uh, PD. Mm -hmm. And so then it's, it's kind of brought to the mainstream for people to understand but at, but in high school, like that was part of, you know, shaping like my perspectives and things. And and later, I would say me kind of galvanizing. I don't ever want to be associated with the RoboCop type of person. Yeah. And, and can I change that? Can I change that culture wherever I am or however I am? You know, or like if I if I'm in the army, is it OK that I go to punk rock shows or hardcore shows? 
you know. Yep. So so at that time, like the, the 90s, I think historically we look back and go kind of bland in that sense, except for these little spikes, you know, well, Desert Storm. That uh, LA was Rock, very Rock. happy for me. Mm-hmm. Desert, that, the beginning of Desert Storm hit me hard. I mean, I'm I'm older than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that to me, hats off to you for living through that as a kid watching that shit unfold on our fucking TVs every yeah. night and still fucking signing up because, you know, especially with people being like, what are you fucking crazy? Like, don't yeah. join the military. It's like, cause very much that was the case yeah. at the time. Like, what are you fucking nuts? Don't join yeah. the military. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go to Iraq. Like, so hats yeah. off to you. Cause that shit was crazy. Yeah. Um, and it, and it got, it got a little worse in the sense of, uh, towards the end of high school. So I'd start talking to a recruiter because you can't talk to recruiters until I think it's like 16 or older. Some, yeah, I think, yeah. I think it is 16. So, so I had you know started talking to a recruiter and to bring this all full circle, this is how crazy the world is. If you can remember people in your lives and stuff. So I'm 16 ish and I'm talking to a recruiter and then uh, Somalia happens yeah, you know, yeah. so you have uh, Rangers and Delta and and Seals and and you know, there was a, a bunch of stuff going on in Somalia, and then you have Mogadishu, and it's all over the news, and it's the the savagery of dragging dead American soldiers through the streets, and I remember feeling like, I, like I need to hurry up and get into the army, like I it, I can't take this this because I was watching the news and understanding. There were humanitarian crisis. They're trying to get food to people. They're trying to establish order so that warlords were not killing off groups of people. And so in my mind, I, I can get behind that. And to then see that savagery, I was like, so I remember talking to my recruiter. Like, I, I understand I got to graduate high school and I understand potentially when I'm going to basic training, but like, I'm having trouble stomaching this. So then I, I joined the army uh, shortly after that, and I'm able to go through basic training. And then the, what's crazy is the co-writer on that book I mentioned earlier, Walk the Blue Line with James Patterson, is Matt Eversman. So Matt did my interview for that book. Matt actually was a ranger in Somalia. So if you were to watch the movie Black Hawk Down, that you know, it's Hollywood. Theater, yeah. Yeah. His, his um, part, part of his actions over there uh, are portrayed by Josh uh, Harnett, Harnett, I believe. Yes, is yeah, Harnett, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just to like wow. be, it's crazy. Like, you know, I never would have imagined all of that, but just how we all can be interconnected and just through social media of knowing people and stuff. Um, and he's just like the nicest guy in the world uh, when he did the interview. But to, to imagine them that unit and those units but but specifically like his unit going through that and then still seeing it going on i don't know just for me it was visceral uh and i've kind of always felt that way like i i've never been able to sit back and like let somebody get bullied or hurt or anything so it was weird when you know later when i got on patrol and stuff and people would say that they would be like oh you know you're you're a cop because you got bullied or something. I'm like, it's kind of actually, it's the opposite. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it 
uh, I would kind of go on the attack if, if someone got hurt or bullied yeah. or that. I just, I don't know. I, I had never been one that could stomach it. My yep. brother and friends were that way. You know, most of the adults I was around growing up were never uh, insensitive or, yep. or anything. I don't know. It just, it just never set well with me. So it's, it's interesting in, in history prior to uh, the terrorist attacks, 9-11 and, and the rise of, of Al-Qaeda and these terrorist organizations, a lot was not going on on the radar for us in America. You know what I mean? Like it just wasn't, it, it wasn't. Was. And then when it happens, then it puts it in the forefront of like, oh yeah, that there, there's still some stuff going on in the world. You know? Yeah. 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 I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Cause, cause I, I mean, I, and I'm very guilty of it as well. You, you tend to live in your bubble mm-hmm. and I was certainly like very much inside my bubble when 9-11 happened and it was mm-hmm. very, very eye-opening or whatever. I mean, I, I, I am aware of there's a lot of atrocities going on around the globe, but at that particular time, I, I think for the majority of the people, it was a fucking eye-opener that, you know, yeah. the the... The United States is is a very nice place to 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 live yeah. your life, and you know it, it was a a heavy reminder that you know the rest of the world is not so comfortable. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I I understand exactly what you're saying. You yeah, know? yeah. You know my my eye opener where I grew up was a was a major city in the South, but it was not as diverse as it is now, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. just because of population shifts and, and different industries coming in. So when I went into the army, I had not met a whole lot of people from other countries, you know, yep. met a family from Saudi Arabia, a couple of families from Mexico. That was really about it. Yeah. But when I was in the army and my platoon or my company, I should say, uh, 10% of my company, it's just, I don't know, 150 soldiers, 100 soldiers, whatever, um, was from other countries. Wow. So, okay. th- so wow. these were these were people who were born in another country, moved to America, yep. could yeah. join, at that time, could join the military and yep. work towards their citizenship. Okay. One of my wow. best friends, yeah, I, I talk about a lot with other people, like one of my best friends in my company, he was actually my platoon, was born in Vietnam. And so he would tell me like, and he was old enough. He was four years old when he left Vietnam and he spent four years in Thailand in like a, what he would kind of call as like an internment camp or like a refugee camp. And it was rough. Yeah. And then he he lands in San Jose, California at eight years old, trying to learn English. Wow. And 10 years later, graduates high school as a class valedictorian. Jesus. He was a cool, cool guy. Uh, you know, now makes a lot of money in the computer industry. He's wow. got some patents on hardware. Um, wow, cool. Yeah, but it was just this idea of like an eye-opener for me, which I love, was people from so many different backgrounds doing one thing and trying to be the best at it. And so we would push one another. And then here I am, this kid from the South, who, who you know, I don't have a lot of worldly views. I don't know a whole lot. And actually, a lot of my worldly views were through music. Yeah. You know, like what bands were saying and stuff. And I would read more about it, you know, but so it was like this eye opener of, yeah, there are things going on in the world. And that was like the running theme where so many soldiers saying you don't understand what America is because you're 
not in a mean way, but they're like, you're born and raised here. Like you, right. you accept that this is the world until you have traveled elsewhere or you're talking to other people. And then you hear some of the horror stories and you're just like, man, like I can't, it's tough. Like I don't want to, I don't want to think <laughs> about bad things happening to anyone. I don't care what country they're like. I don't, I want everyone just to, sounds silly, but like just to live in peace, like, yeah. you know, like when we were kids, I would hear people be like hippie, <clears throat> you know, like uh, hippie movement. But man, I'm not gonna lie. Like <laughs> that's all I want. It's like, like peace. Like can everybody okay, cool yeah. Sounds lay back. awesome. Like, yeah, like it would be. It would be great. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'll I'll wrap it up with this, and I appreciate y'all giving me your time. I know uh, with schedules and everything, we've 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 tried to to narrow it down today. So. But are there any like bands or any anything that you could kind of tell the listeners something they might be interested in or something that you're kind of kind of still listening to or interested in now? You know, I, I just talk about some some bands that we've recently done runs with Um, uh, the show that you were at with mm -hmm. Agnostic Front. The band that opened was from the UK, grade two. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing guys. They're uh, signed to Hellcat. They're they're three 25-year-old guys, sweetest dudes in the world, great songwriters, uh, just hard workers. Uh, they they tour the US relentlessly. They're they're out right now. Um in Europe, um, right now. In, in Europe uh they're a great band to check out. Uh, another UK band that we recently did like a five week run with is uh, Barstool Preachers. Okay. Um, yeah. Another great bunch of guys. They're very catchy, very fun act. Um, yeah, I, I could recommend those guys. Like, uh, I love seeing the new, the the young, the new, the new band. Out. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I I love all the old. I mm -hmm. like I love the nostalgia of going to all the good hardcore shows. Absolutely, and, and I mean, we get we get the honor of playing with a so bunch lucky. of these bands that so grew up lucky. listening to, which is fucking insane and super cool, and a you know just a dream come true and surreal at times. Very surreal. But I still just love the young bands, seeing young guys doing what like we were doing 40 fucking years yeah. ago. I love and, seeing, uh, well, like I said earlier, I love seeing the grow, the growing up of the, the kids. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you know what uh, brings me to another point, the rum jacks. Uh, we, we just did a five week oh. run with the rum jacks and they're, um, you know, well, singers, singers from the U S who we watched grow up. I know we've known him since he was a teen and, and he was a, a great kid playing around here in bands and now he's the singer of the rum jacks are a great fucking band um uh i think so the majority bad. of them are from australia but they tour relentlessly yeah. and another great young band and and a good bunch of guys and and the singer again is is a kid we watched grow up i mean i don't know he's probably in his late 30s now but um you know it's just it's just awesome that, you know being able to see some of these these kids grow up and go on and and and, and have a lot of success with the band. Yeah. So, uh, awesome. um, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, but but that is as far as new bands. Shit, there's there's a million of them now, and it's and it's exciting to see that it's like, hey, well, you know what? There's some youth interested in punk rock again, and I'm hoping for the next wave to be right around the corner. Um, 
because we really haven't seen it since the mid '90s. The last like major push major where push. punk rock mm-hmm. was like a really yeah. big fucking thing, you know. And it would be nice to see that again to see a bunch of twenty-year-olds having success playing punk rock music. Like I, no one would be more thrilled than me, man. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not a curmudgeon when it comes to that. I like seeing kids playing. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And that's why I always ask that question and listeners love hearing that, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're getting plugged in. So cool. I appreciate that. You know, awesome. Well, I appreciate yeah. you yeah, for asking us, asking. man. It's like we were thrilled yeah. to do yeah. this today. Yeah. No, th- thank you very much. And uh, if, if people want to reach out to you, what's the easiest way for them to contact you? Uh, I, I like a uh, sad plant, one word, uh, Usually we'll get anybody to me. My name, uh, uh, it would be like Ben Space Social. Uh, like if you wanted to find me that way. Uh, okay. Ben Social at Gmail. Amy, Amy, uh, Amy Wapple, W-A-P-P-E-L. Yep. And okay. oh, dude, we'd love to hear from anyone, man. Like it's like I, I am definitely not the type that lets messages go unanswered. Like I'm thrilled with anybody who wants to ask anything of me. I'm like flattered and just humbled by it. So anybody send me a message, Ben social (laughs) at Gmail. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And when you respond to me in text, it's always with exclamation marks, which is how I speak to. So I I do appreciate that. Like the ones if I'm excited, it's like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a couple of emojis in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I love it. I love it. You all enjoy the rest of the day. Dude, you with, too, man. Yeah. Thank you too. I appreciate it. Right. Thank you, bud. Yeah. Disruptors. Take care. This is disruptors out. <laughs>